for all of you tuning in, sending me messages, and talking about my podcast to others. Thank you so much. This is what keeps me going. Now I need your help. If you've been listening to this podcast, if you liked it so far, I'd love if you could book 15 to 20 minutes with me down on the Calendly link in the episode description. Of course, you'd be compensated for your time with a $10 gift card of your choice. I want to get to know you better as my audience and as a podcast listener, what you've been liking, what you want to know, roadblocks when it comes to persuading people or accelerating in your career, and just what you'd like me to produce more of. My goal is to ultimately make this podcast more valuable and entertaining to you. If that sounds like you, please, please, please book that time with me below on the Calendly link. The link is in the episode description. I look forward to meeting you. Now, without further ado, let's start talking about some negotiation. Hello, hola, ni hao, salut, namaste everyone, wherever in the world you're listening to this, and welcome to 100 Some Game, a podcast where we discuss negotiation, persuasion, and influence. Join me as I interview master negotiators from a new industry each episode and get inspired to get the best outcome for yourself while creating value for your counterpart. My name is Adele. I'm a recent economics and psychology grad with experience in finance and marketing, and I'm fascinated by the power of negotiation to change your life and career. Whether you're an earlier or seasoned professional looking to accelerate your career, negotiate your value, and tactfully handle conflicts, or simply a curious individual aiming to level up your soft skills, leave your shoes and missed opportunities at the door, and let's get started. Welcome, welcome all to another episode from 100 Some Game. This is an episode that I've been planning and wanting to do for a while, so I'm so excited for the brand management game. Today, I have Harsh Pant with me. He is a senior brand manager at Unilever. I'm so excited to have him on my episode because brand management is is a field where you use a lot of your persuasion and negotiation skills, and we'll be talking all about it with him. Hi, Harsh. Welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Adil. How are you doing? Good, good. It's so great to have you here. Likewise. So let's uh, start getting to know more about you. Of course. My name is Harsh, but as you just said right now, it's, uh, I've been with Unilever for 10 years now. I'm currently managing uh, our dressings business in Canada, which is primarily helmets, mayonnaise. I joined Unilever in 2014 back in India. It was uh, in sales originally for three years, uh, worked over there, moved to Canada in 2017. I've been here since then coming close to seven years in Canada, actually, this year. Um, I've always been in brand management since then. I've uh, worked across all of our beauty and personal care brands, um, Dove, Axe, Vaseline, Ponds, uh, you name it. Uh, I've also worked on home care for a while, uh, which included our Wim and Seven Generation businesses. Um, and I think it's been probably a few weeks now, it's not very recently, I've been on Hellman's. Yeah, I love that. And congrats on your new journey with Hellman's after Dove. And what a journey um, starting from India all the way to Canada. So as we, me and Harsh were speaking about it, and we've realized that a lot of people have this misconception that brand management is solely has to do with marketing and, and more creative and more of like, you know, the classical side of marketing, but it's actually not the case that it touches on a lot more aspects of the business. So Harsh, why don't you tell us a bit about what brand management is, what a brand manager does, so people have a, a better understanding of, of the role? Of course. I think that's a very key topic and quite close to my heart. Brand management, 
does involve some creativity yes communications uh, media etc but the way i place it i think brand management is more business management especially in a cpg firm that includes everything from managing the finances of the brand as you said earlier uh, the pnl statement sales in the market how's the performance are you gaining share losing share um, it pertains uh, working with your legal teams r and d teams supply chain new product development um, launching innovations all the complications that come with it be it regulatory compliance be it the claims you can make uh, it involves working with external agencies a wide variety of those including in the, the ones in your marketing plan of course which would be your pr agencies your media agencies but there could also be partnerships for example uh, at a time on ax we had some great partnerships with uh, the raptors as you guys might have seen we also have had a great partnership with the habs in the past so honestly it's a lot of things that come with brand management creativity i would say is fundamental to what we do but the uh, ad creation aspect of it or the creative aspect that people call it is just one part of the job it's a total business management that we do as brand managers right i love that and that's why people sort of say that brand you're like the owner or the the ceo of that brand within the master brand that the yeah. brand belongs to Amazing. So we can already tell by dealing with all these stakeholders where and how you'll be uh, negotiating or persuading them. So can you give us a more detailed picture of how does negotiation and persuasion interactions look like in brand management? I would say negotiation is a fundamental part of any job that we do, especially in brand management, given how I described it just a while ago as business management. It takes almost center stage in your day-to-day work. Obviously, there's the... Uh, often regarded aspect of financial uh, negotiations like oh i want to launch a campaign and i need some money for this thing which a lot of us do on a daily basis but then there's also the wider aspect of micro negotiations that we do on a daily basis as well for instance you might be working with your team trying to align them to a vision that you have on this need not only be the leaders in the team but even your own team you want to pick up a new project and the team feels or does not see yet what the priorities are so almost working with them and letting them or helping them understand like this is what we should be doing working with your agencies who might often have a different vision of where the campaign should go and getting them on the same page negotiating with them what could be the best way forward working as i said earlier with your legal partners your r&d partners supply chain partners honestly i think with legal we have probably the most uh, intense negotiations when you're discussing a claim on what could be said could not be said with supply chain you might have intense negotiations with your uh, external partners if you might think of it your uh, what we call collaborative manufacturers or 3p manufacturers negotiating with them uh, in terms of product costs for instance i think i've covered actually a lot of it already but honestly like this is a whole there's so many aspects of negotiation it's almost fundamental to anything we do but in a job like brand management it's a very essential part of your day-to-day role mm-hmm. wow like so many stakeholders so many people are involved right it's possible not to use that skill and as you said every single thing that you do moving on to the meat of our episode as a bm or spm so when we're using those acronyms by the way a bm means a brand manager an spm a senior brand manager an abm when we use it that means an assistant brand manager so more of a junior role um so as a leader of that brand you're as we said 360 responsible, right? Like you're touching on all aspects of, of the business. You're pinpointing insights, you're crafting a strategy and, you, and you're pitching that 
to either to secure money to help that activation come to life or again, securing a buy-in or agreement from your team. And especially if as you worked on big brands like Dove and Hellman's or Axe, like the scope of work is is really big and the stakes are really high and you're usually under a lot of pressure. So curious, what are your tactics in persuading leaders or, or your team when it comes to crafting the best path for your brand? Of course, any persuasion anywhere begins first with knowing a few things, knowing what you want and knowing what you have also knowing what you're doing in general, right? It's uh, it's knowledge in the end. If, for example, I'm launching a new campaign where I'm negotiating or persuading, as you might say, an agency to take a certain approach. Of course, people might say that you're the client, you can just say, do this and they will do that, right? Doesn't make sense because obviously if every time the client says something and the agency does that, then you will get what the client wants, but might not be the best outcome. However, if as a brand owner or a brand leader, as you said earlier, I know what my consumer wants or the consumer is looking for. If I know what we have to offer and I know it very well, you can have a very informed conversation with your agency. In that case, the persuasion, again, as you said earlier, their tactics, right? Persuasion could just be literally, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Like that just could be the way we think when you say persuading someone, or it could be actually bringing someone along on a journey giving them all the information that you can present to them so that they see things from maybe your perspective or maybe their own perspective, but more informed now and can lead them to make decision in a collaborative manner to achieve an outcome, which is mutually beneficial for both of you, but also achieve the business objectives. That's the way I would put it. So I gave you the agency example. Think of your senior stakeholders, for instance, Uh, you want to make a decision to discontinue a product, for instance, right, which they might see as strategically important, or maybe just, uh, you know, they like it, oh, it's there, we want to keep it. Why do I want to discontinue it could be several reasons, maybe I need the space on shelf to bring in something new, or maybe one extra SKU, which might be helpful for the business. Maybe I feel that my team is spending too much time on something which is not adding value, or taking away from things that they can do elsewhere. Maybe I have financial reasons like gross margin, which is uh, could be decretive. There could be several ways. And if you bring that information in a comprehensive manner to inform your stakeholders, whomever you're negotiating with, in this case, the senior leadership, you could call it making them see your perspective. I would uh, call it having an informed discussion and bringing all the stakeholders on the same page. Because in that case, you're not persuading someone to do what you want. You're then working together to achieve the best possible outcome for the business. And that's the way I like to approach it. Yeah, that's really important. And I love how you sort of put consumer as your North Star too, when you're dealing with um, agencies. What I'm understanding from all of this is you're using more of like a a data-driven approach when it comes to aligning senior stakeholders or agencies. That's true. That's, I would say, my personal approach also, which is something which I feel works really well when you're trying to bring, bring various people who might not have a complete view of what you're trying to do or achieve or what you're discussing. You can take different approaches, of course. That could be just a conversational approach. Some people are truly charismatic in the way they say and do things, and you can actually bring people along just by saying those things. Yeah, true. And we have seen that 
in politics, for instance, right? We do get persuaded and vote for people, even though we might not really know what they are saying. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, if you think of uh, a job situation where a lot of people whom you're working with know what's being done, they have a clear POV on what should be done, just letting them know, oh, we should do this thing because this is so cool and this, or, or you know, using your charisma might not work often. Um, the best way to approach in that case is actually presenting data points, which can show them the real picture. So let's take an example again, and let's take a consumer example. An agency might come to you and say, let's take this line of communication. I could either go and say, oh, you know what? Let's not do this thing because I don't like it. Or you can say, my gut feeling says this will not work. Or you could actually go back and say that, you know what? We have X amount of consumer research, which has shown that this thing, again, not in those exact words, which sounds a bit pretentious, but uh, almost telling them that, you know, this is all the consumer research we have done. We know our consumer. When we have said these things or when these kind of concepts are presented to them, they did not respond well for so-and-so reasons. However, when you brought in these facts and X number of consumers responded in such manner and so many in such manner, the conversation just changes. Then you're not trying to convince someone about your point of view, but you're literally stating facts or insights that you have gained in your work. And then you're trying to show them why this matters. It's a much easier, much more informed conversation. Similarly, if you think of uh, my previous example on discontinuing products, I can give uh, a few pointers, as I said earlier, but you can also go and actually pull out data points which show you, oh, this particular product has been declining at this rate for the last two years. Its gross margin was so-and-so, but due to, let's say, commodity costs or something or the other, the gross margin now is reduced by this much. It has such little contribution to the portfolio. However, and I'm just literally giving you examples, which might be true for most people who do this job. Given that this is on e-com and we need to support it with, you know, your e-com images and text and copy and making sure the stock is there, it increases so much work for our content teams, our supply chain teams on management. So this one truly is not adding value. And of course, most organizations have very clear frameworks. Uh, obviously, most mature organizations have very clear frameworks about these things, so you can actually go by those. The ones where you don't have those frameworks, you can actually create your own frameworks and showcase them. That, of course, helps you show to people that I know what I'm doing and I can actually think in very logical terms. But then also it helps you convince them, as you said, persuade them to understand your point of view and eventually influence them to the decision that you want to achieve. Yeah, and when, when a lot of these different stakeholders are involved, who have different priorities or who care about a different side of the business. Like maybe my approach is to, I mean, my goal is to like grow my brand or like prove like the gross margin. However, for example, like the, mm -hmm. the finance team or like the supply chain team, et cetera, or the agencies have like different goals in mind or different things that they really care about. So I, I believe that as you're approaching the persuasion the, the conversation you probably start with like what they care about first that's a really good point and let me actually give you another example which is outside of the usual things that i've said so far so let's take for example a particular claim uh, a claim essentially in marketing parlance is a statement you make on any pack or any communication or anything if you're saying my product is the best in this category that's a claim if you say this product contains vitamin e b c whatever that's a claim sometimes these claims can get um quite tricky, to be really honest. That's why we have legal teams which will evaluate the claims to make sure that we are not in the wrong, i.e. we are not misleading our consumers, we are not inadvertently saying something which might not be you know, the right thing to say competitively in the market. 
So you go to legal and you will discuss a claim. And legal, let's say if they say this claim does not work for XYZ reasons, you would have to first go to their place and understand why they are saying that. I've often seen a lot of marketers, even uh, very good friends of mine make this mistake, go and headbutt. I need this thing for this reason because this is so important, right? However, your lawyer is saying that for a certain reason and they are not wrong. They know what they're doing. I think the first place in any discussion, and this is true for any discussion whatsoever, is trusting the party that you're working with, that they are also working towards the same outcome and with the best intent to achieve that outcome. Once you invoke that trust in that relationship or in that discussion, you listen to them, you understand why they're saying something, you understand their perspective, you contextualize it for yourself, and then you have, you know, acknowledge it. Okay, this is makes sense. Now, my point is, I have my consumer research, I have my brand research, I have, you know, you would have done competitive benchmarking studies, you might have done some claim tests with consumers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We have seen that while, yes, for example, uh, regulation might not allow this claim in this exact way because consumer might might not understand it, for example. Our research has shown that this regulation, which was written 10 years ago, back when this particular concept was, for example, again, this is not something which I worked on, but I've actually seen closely in the food industry, for instance, probiotics. These kind of claims were not really uh, accounted for in a very strong way in some of the guidelines that we had at a federal level, for example. And they are like obviously better accounted now. But um, you could obviously have a discussion that the understanding, the consumer understanding of probiotics has improved so much more now versus it was what was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So consumers know a lot more now, or it could be active ingredients, like for example, niacinamide. 10 years ago, niacinamide or vitamin B3 was not well known. I would argue that now a lot more people know about it because people have face care routines. We're watching a lot more videos about these things. So that awareness, as it changes, the legal landscape also changes. Sometimes regulations might not keep up with that. So to my point from before, persuasion is a lot more about knowledge, right? Knowing why certain rules were created, understanding that knowing are they applicable in the same way right now while yes they may be in certain cases in certain cases if it's the example that i gave right now understanding of consumers and how they perceive certain uh, ingredients or claims might have evolved and legally in the court of law as we have seen in movies and shows things can be argued in certain ways but uh, if you can actually make a point and help people understand that you know what people actually see these things differently now you have suddenly made your case, which might make more sense, right? Might work, might not work. That's subjective in the end. But at least you made a proper case and you could find a better way. Maybe, which often does happen in our cases, is that the legal team understands what we're trying to say and might actually suggest, you know what, makes sense. Let's say it this way. This complies with the regulation because it does this thing, but also it conveys this to the consumer in a more comprehensible manner. And then you are able to come up with something completely different from what maybe you were imagining because you were thinking in a certain way only. Um, so what that unlocks is like maybe a better claim. Maybe it unlocks something which is safer to use, but at the same time, it still creates the same impact. All that to say that persuasion often the way or negotiation that we, uh, we think of even the best movies that you've seen, they show these traits and all those actors, right? Like they are not just going and saying, do this thing, do this thing. It's always about understanding situation, reading what's happening in the room, understanding what the other party's intent is or what their goals are, understanding what we want, finding that common ground. 
There's a lot of these skills that go along with, which basically make for a successful negotiation to achieve the outcome that's best possible in that case. Yeah, I love the legal example, um, how the landscape changes. The regulations might not really catch up with that. And then you have to like build your case and hence knowledge is really important. I have another question more so on self-awareness side this time. As we said, you have a lot of like visibility and ownership as a leader of the brand. And although it has a lot of benefits, it can sometimes be stressful when things don't go the way that you want or your brand is not totally. performing. Uh, but as an SBM you're, or a BM, you're expected to lead your brand and, and your team in these ambiguous, if you will, and challenging times. And your attitude, your body language even becomes more important. So curious how you, hmm. how you exude confidence in these situations and how, how, you, how do you like regulate your stress? Yeah, that's a great point, actually. And it's um, extremely important, especially in a situation where you're leading a business, right? Um, and there are people, if not looking up to you, at least looking at you for direction, for guidance, for that leadership. I'll go back to where I started and I'll, and you'll see this is probably with the theme of this episode, knowledge. While I completely 100% agree, like all the other things that you mentioned, like empathy, listening, etc., are extremely important in these situations as well. I feel knowing helps a lot with that piece around exuding confidence and uh, having a certain persona in the room. I have found myself in situations where I went to a discussion, not really knowing strongly what was going on. And in that situation, if I went in to try and get the outcome without listening to anyone else and just like trying to achieve the outcome, I've often fumbled, I've often come across, um, I'm not sure how I came across because no one told me you came across as this, but like in my mind, at least, I felt like I would have come across as someone who's just rambling and not really landing a strong point. I have not been able to bring people to my perspective or like on the same journey as that I have been. However, places where I have had the best discussions are where I knew the issue inside out. I knew every single aspect to it. I had, even before the meetings, spoken with the stakeholders like, uh, you know, maybe R&D, maybe supply chain, finance. I went to a discussion, um, I think it was, it was a few years ago. I forgot who was it, but definitely someone very senior. And they had a clear perspective. And one thing you will, of course, see several times that, especially in jobs like ours, by the time you reach a certain senior, senior position, you have a perspective on everything because you're supposed to have perspective on everything. However, that does not mean that he know everything inside out, right? And it's a, it's a fun anecdote, but uh, when I started my job back in India, I was in sales and we had our CEO visiting my sales area. And I was like, obviously nervous, right? It's like, you're just first year in your job, you see us visiting, like want to see what's going on in the market, everything. My uh, manager at the time said something, which honestly, I really believe in now as well. Uh, he said that, you know, your CEO can come and say anything and you have to listen to them and they can come on literally and like rag you on the spot and that's fine. But one thing that no one can tell you is about your business, anything. You're the person who's closest to your business, who knows that thing inside out, who should know that thing inside out. If someone else comes and tells you that your business is not doing, you know, so-and-so or they're not growing or whatever, like if it's some data or whatever, and if at that point you can't answer, that's when you should be nervous. But if someone comes and tells you like this thing, honestly, you should know everything about your business. So 
that has been my approach knowledge right so if you know what's going on so in those discussions the recent one that i talked about a few years ago with that senior leadership member uh when they gave a perspective on a particular innovation that we were about to launch on why uh it was actually a good idea to launch this one at this time for so and so reasons I actually had enough data points from R&D and supply chain on my side in this particular case, and also some stuff from CTI, which is our consumer technical insights team around claims and consumer understanding of the thing on why it might not make sense to launch it either right now or in the form that it is being presented. I mean, the proposition of the particular range. But I could do that because I knew what I was talking about. I knew what was my perspective, very clear on that. Um, the exuding confidence part that he talked about earlier was essentially sitting there like this, fully confident, knowing what I want, why I want it. Yes, being open to hearing their feedback and maybe a new perspective is presented, but landing my point very clearly with all the various pieces of information that I've collected. So for me, I think that's the one piece I feel brings in most confidence, which is knowledge, knowing. Once you have that, all the other tools in your toolkit, which you talked about earlier, which is listening, empathy, um, et cetera, these help you achieve a better outcome. But for me, that fundamental thing is definitely knowledge. So knowing like the what, how, so what part of it and having data points to support each part of, of your case. Another thing that he mentioned earlier, knowing the other person's perspective beforehand. Yeah. If you go to a room and you already know why a VP might be or why VP might propose something and the discussions that they have been, which means that you might have to speak with a few other people. Maybe you have to speak with your manager or your manager's manager or someone else who might have be better privy to the conversation that have been going in the boardroom. But it's all about gaining that intelligence and that knowledge about every single aspect that could come up in that discussion, knowing what you have collected, knowing what maybe even they have thought of, and then being ready with every single eventuality that could arise almost doing the heavy lifting before you actually do the big reveal, right? And that's what um, yeah. an engagement manager from McKinsey in our management consulting episode also spoke about. The biggest thing that she does is she does the heavy lifting before the, the big reveal so that the alignment is easier. And when a VP might be caring about the bottom line, the profitability, right? Then you might start your conversation with how this XYZ is actually going to help you know, improve, improve the profitability. So, and then they're like, okay, they're hooked. Or you could even, even say that XYZ will not help with profitability yeah. because we have AB, ABC coming in later, which will have profitability. This one achieves a different purpose altogether. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I've, I've learned a lot too. And before we end this episode, I want to ask you, so we spoke a little bit about having that knowledge coming in the room with that knowledge. So do you have any tips for, you know, ABMs, as we said, or, or junior marketers um, in this field on how to build that knowledge or how can they use that knowledge to get people excited about the future? So I think that's a topic that's really close to my heart. I've often had conversations at office with people whom I mentor, um, coffee chats, and I like to talk about this extensively. I would love to speak about that. But And again, I have been there in the past, so I can almost give you like the mistakes that I have made or think the way I approach these things and did not achieve outcomes. I think the most important thing is doing, doing your job, really applying yourself 110% if you can, getting fully immersed, learning as much as you can, especially in the early years. The beauty of the early years in your job is that responsibility is there, could be high, could be low. 
you know, the impact that your failure might have is quite limited in some ways because there are like much more many people above you, your manager, their manager, their manager who would like provide multiple levels. And people give you the benefit of doubt quite often I have seen, at least in like healthy workplaces, right? Which means that you can actually use that time to really learn, learn, learn and grow with that. Taking that time, the early years of your career, and by early, I don't mean like one year or two years. I actually mean like at least the five, six, seven first years of your career, like truly, because that's when you build the foundation. You spend that time really applying yourself to your job, really immersing yourself in what's going on around me. Speak to all stakeholders. Um, when I first joined marketing, I literally used to just sit down and chat with the R&D team for hours. And this was about like, you know, what's going on? And they will tell me something that they were interested in. Of course, it's not about the business or like what I'm doing. It's more about, oh, how does this thing work? What happens over there? And they will tell you something else. Now you hear that over there. Then I had a different chat maybe at some point with the legal team, um, our legal counsel, and, you know, chatting about certain regulations. And I learned something over there. Spoke with supply chain team, learned something over there. And if you take, for example, in this respect specifically, the case of sustainable uh, or sustainability in products that has a R&D aspect, which you would have learned from that casual conversation about, you know, how products can be more sustainable to buy ingredients. You would have learned the legal uh, perspective over there in that conversation on how claims can be misleading, for instance, or what an accurate or good claim looks like for a product. You would have learned from supply chain in a such another casual conversation that, you know, this is the challenges that we are, are the challenges that we face in procuring sustainable material, for instance, and then finance will tell you something about the cost and the margin impact. This is all may, it might not be linked to your work in that very moment, but because you were inquisitive, because you were having those conversations, you develop your knowledge base. You keep on doing that. And before you even realize in the next three, four or five years, you know so much to my point from before, when you go into a conversation, you can actually add value. And the more value you add, the more confident you feel. It adds, like it's a very cumulative effect, effect, right? When I said earlier how to exude confidence, that's how you exude confidence because now you're feeling, I know things. I can actually have a conversation with my director, for instance, about the thing which they are concerned about and uh, add value to that conversation. So my biggest tip to anyone um, early in their career, even in the first three, four, five, six years of their career would be apply yourself to your job as much as you can. Obviously, take care of your health. That's the first and most important thing. Get your sleep, get your workouts, do all of that. But beyond that, don't shirk. That often happens when the job doesn't excite you, when it is not what you expected it to be. Sometimes there might be a challenge, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you don't have a good manager. Unfortunately, that happens quite often. I've been there as well. But then through all of that, how do you keep your motivation up and make sure that you always have your eyes set on what you're working towards? X years from now, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm just making that up. But uh, if that's my goal, this is the time that I build the foundation. Having that clarity and just like applying yourself through your early years, I think that's the most fundamental thing. It just doesn't help with building that knowledge. It also has a lot of other things. When you speak with all these people, they start regarding you as someone who's inquisitive. You do that for five years and you add value in conversations. Seven years down the line, eight years down the line, when you're, let's say, a brand manager now, these people who are still there, hopefully, in the company, will would have seen you reach that position with all that you know, inquisitiveness and authority, if you might call it, and they will regard you as a strong leader, which completely changes the interactions that you have with everyone else. All these things start adding up. So it's a very good positive effect. There's a beautiful thing, which uh, this is a different concept altogether. 
So Nitin Pranjwe, Nitin is our, uh, like he was a CEO, for, he was the CEO for India, for Unilever. He was the CEO for a long time. So, he, so he's a senior leader in the company uh, globally. And he said this one thing when I first joined the company, he talked about what we say mental quitting now. He talked about it in a different way. He's like, sometimes when we are not feeling immersed in a job or we are frustrated or we are sad or we are just not you know, getting what we wanted, we stop applying ourselves. What that does is you still work, you still deliver the outcomes because you've been paid to that, that's your job. However, you stop deriving value from the job for yourself more than anything. And the moment you stop that, it's like, what's the point, right? Because in the end, if you're not growing with any uh, job or thing that you're doing, so my, I've always, always tell people this thing, like uh, be clear, one, you should be giving to the organization something, which is the value that you add. But at the same time, you should ensure that you're adding value to your own experience and growing as well. If you can achieve that, I think you will see the differences yourself in a few years, everyone. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is so important, right? Raising your hand to join like new projects or again, be inquisitive about what the, the departments that, that are impactful in the work that you're doing their perspective, their work. Again, I agree that it really builds a good reputation for yourself in the company. And that's that's a really great advice in, in building that knowledge and coming to the room with confidence and with strong persuasive arguments. Thank you so much, Harsh. This was a, a really great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast again and sharing all of these beautiful insights. No, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's a great podcast. Uh, I would highly recommend it to anyone <laughs> that I'm I've actually I've, I've told some few people to listen to this one. It's, uh, it's an amazing podcast. It's a great thing that you're doing, Adil. So thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. Thank you for all the lovely words. Totally. All right, all right. I hope you took as much valuable information as I did and more. My name is Adil and you have listened to an episode from 100 Subgame. You like it here? Go ahead and subscribe to 100 Sum Game on your preferred platform. While you're at it, I'd love to hear about what you're thinking of this podcast, any episode requests, or further feedback. It'll help me make this podcast better for you. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next episode.